Chapter One of My Experiences as an Executioner by James Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter One: The Executioner at Home by H. Snowden Ward. James Berry, though regarded by some people as a monster and by others as a curiosity, is very much like any other working man when one comes to know him. He is neither a paragon of perfection nor an embodiment of all vice, though different classes of people have at times placed him under both these descriptions. His character is a curious study, a mixture of very strong and very weak traits, such as is seldom found in one person. And although one of his weak points is his Yorkshire open-hearted frankness, which he tries to control as much as possible, the man who has only been with him a few days has not by any means got to the depths of his character. His wife has said to me more than once, I have lived with him for nineteen years, but I don't thoroughly know him yet. And one can quite understand it, as his character is so many-sided and in some respects contradictory. This partly accounts for the varying and contradictory views of his personality which have been published in different papers. His strongest point is his tender-heartedness. Perhaps this may be doubted, but I state the fact from ample knowledge. Mr. Berry's occupation was not by any means taken up from a love of the ghastly or any pleasure in the work. Even in his business of executioner, his soft-heartedness has shown itself for though it has never caused him to flinch on the scaffold, it has led him to study most carefully the science of his subject, and to take great pains to make death painless. Of this trait I have had many proofs. For instance, I know that on some occasions, when he has been due to start for a place of execution, his repugnance to the task has been so great that his wife and her mother have been obliged to use the greatest possible force of persuasion to prevent him from shirking his duty. Another instance of this characteristic appeared when I was overhauling his manuscript and cuttings for the purpose of this book. I came across a copy of a poem, for one under sentence of death, and made some inquiry about it. I found that the lines were some which Mr. Berry had copied from a Dorchester newspaper, and that for a long time it had been his habit to make a copy of them, to send to the chaplain in every case where a prisoner was sentenced to death, with a request that they should be read to the prisoner. This was continued until the governor of one of the jails resented the sending of such a poem to the chaplain, and intimated that in all cases the chaplain was best able to judge of what was necessary for the condemned man, and did not need any outside interference. After this Mr. Berry sent no more poems, but he kept one or two copies by him, and I think that it may interest the reader. Lines for one under the sentence of death my brother sit and think while yet some hours on earth are left to thee kneel to thy god who does not from thee shrink and lay thy sins on christ who died for thee he rests his wounded hand with loving kindness on thy sin-stained brow and says here at thy side i ready stand to make the scarlet sins as white as snow I did not shed my blood for sinless angels, good and pure and true, for hopeless sinners flowed that crimson flood, 
my heart's blood ran for you my son for you though thou hast grieved me sore my arms of mercy still are open wide i still hold open heaven's shining door come then take refuge in my wounded side men shun thee but not i come close to me i love my erring sheep my blood can cleanse thy sins of blackest dye i understand if thou canst only weep words fail thee never mind thy saviour can read even a sigh or tear i came sin-stricken heart to heal and bind and died to save thee to my heart thou'rt dear come now the time is short longing to pardon and to bless i wait look up to me my sheep so dearly bought and say forgive me ever it is too late e b c the soft-heartedness of mr berry's nature would quite unfit him for his post if it were not that he possesses a strong resolution and can control his feelings when he finds duty warring against inclination in personal appearance he is a kindly-looking man thick-set and muscular with a florid complexion and sandy hair he stands five foot eight and a half inches high weighs thirteen stones and does not look the sort of man to willingly injure any one the appearance of his right cheek is somewhat marred by a long deep scar extending downwards from the corner of the eye which has given rise to one or two sensational stories from the pens of imaginative newspaper men the scar was caused by the kick of a horse which he attempted to ride when he was a boy about ten years old the horse was young unbroken and vicious and its kick narrowly missed being fatal across his forehead is another great scar the result of a terrible blow received when arresting a desperate character in a Bradford public house. The man was one of a gang of six, and his comrades helped him to violently resist arrest, but Berry stuck to his captive until he was safely locked in the Bradford Town Hall, and the six men all had to do time for the assault. Mr. Berry was born on February 8, 1852, at Heckmondwike in Yorkshire. His father was a wall stapler, holding a good position in the district. Young Berry's education was obtained at the Ray Green School, near Litham, where he gained several prizes for his writing and drawing. His writing ability was useful to him in later life, when he was employed by a lithographer to write copperplate transfers. In 1874 he was married and had six children. Of these, two boys and a girl died while young, and two boys and a girl are living. The executioner's office, as Mr. Berry likes to call it, on his official communications, is a house just off City Road, Bradford. It is one of six owned by Mr. Berry. When he first took the position of executioner, some of his neighbours were so prejudiced against the work that they refused to live next door to a hangman, and as landlords naturally object to losing two or three tenants for the sake of keeping one, Mr. Berry was obliged to move once or twice, and came to the conclusion that he had better be his own landlord. 
The prejudice which then existed has been lived down, and there is now no difficulty in letting neighbouring houses to respectable tenants. The house in Bilton Place is furnished just the same as hundreds of other houses in the district that are occupied by better-class artisans, and there is nothing at all gloomy or gruesome about the place. In fact, there is no indication of the business of the occupant. There are in the front room two frames of small photographs, which are really portraits of some of the murderers who have been executed by Mr. Berry. But the frames bear no inscription. In a glass-fronted sideboard, too, there are a few handsome electro-goblets, cruet stands, and similar articles that have been given to Mr. Berry by some of his admirers but no one would connect them with his business. In drawers and cupboards about the place there are, or were, for they have now gone to Madame Tussauds, a large number of relics and mementos of executions and other incidents. Amongst them is the great knife, once used by the executioner of Canton for the beheading of nine pirates. This was obtained in exchange for a rope with which several persons had been hanged. These relics were all stowed well away and were not by any means on show, though the executioner did not object to producing them if a personal friend wished to see them. In conversation Mr. Berry is fluent, apt in anecdote and illustration, and full of a subtle Yorkshire humour which he cannot entirely shake off, even when talking on serious subjects. He has a very good memory for facts, and is very observant, so that he is always ready with a personal experience or observation on almost any topic. His tastes are simple. His favourite occupations are fishing and otter-hunting, of both of which sports he is passionately fond. Frequently, when going to an execution in a country town, he takes his rod and basket and gets a half-day's fishing before or after the execution. He seems to like the sport on account of its quiet and contemplative nature, and says that he enjoys the fishing even if he never gets the nibble. At home, Mr. Berry devotes himself largely to mechanical pursuits. At the present time, he is working a patent, which he brought recently, and has the topmost room of his house fitted as a mechanic's workshop, with lath, bench, etc. In spare time, he devotes a good deal of attention to his pigeons and rabbits, for he is an ardent fancier, and keeps a large number of live pets. End of chapter 1 Recording by Ashley Jane